Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It is Tuesday, February 6th. 409 on this very warm, very weird Minnesota weather. No doubt about it. You heard Laura in the news talking about Osseo and their desire or exploration of opening up a dispensary in Osseo. We have municipal liquor stores. The law allows municipal dispensaries. But is that a good role for government? We'll talk with the city administrator of Osseo in just about 20 minutes. About that, I have thoughts. I'm sure you guys too. But first, it is Tuesday. It's time for Derusha Eats. Derusha Eats is brought to you by the Minnesota Pork Board. Today, full disclosure, our two guests are friends of mine. They both help run their family business. And it's a business that you have probably had some interaction with, even though you may not know it. Taher is, well, I'll have you guys to describe it. Sean Taher and Trent Taher are with us in studio today. It's so good to have you guys on. We're glad to be here. Thanks for having us. You guys are <clears throat> sort of like a, well, how do you describe it? You, you do school lunch. You do corporate lunch. You do uh, government yeah. buildings. Yeah, we like to look at ourselves as really just a f- small food company. You know, I know that there's some debate about small for a minute, but... You know, we're just a group of chefs as, you know, if you were here, you can see, you know, some of our buttons don't quite fit right, but we just <laughs> love to be in food. And uh, we have found an opportunity, you know, in a couple of spaces, as you shared, school lunch has been really like our niche since 1981. Corporate dining has been really good to us, uh, despite some of the ebbs and flows that come with the economy. And, you know, over the last 12 years, as you well know, we've we've gotten into manufacturing uh, for fresh grab and going. So I don't know, we've found some spaces that Seem to fit. People can find your food in gas station convenience stores. Uh, and you're in, like, what's the, what's the, what's the coolest uh, government office that you guys are in? Well, I'll tell you, most recently, we are very, very proud of our team on the corporate dining side. We have uh, kind of taken D.C. by storm, if you will, uh, have taken on the FAA, Department of Justice, Department of uh, of Labor. So, and then here locally, which I think is, what Trent, about- you passed the background check to get into these government uh, offices? Yeah, you know, now that I'm not 35, I'm not so high any, on the list anymore of, uh, per, you know, Pers- Persian descent, bad people and, and such. But uh, no, yeah, they let they, some of them I'm allowed into. I, I, I did yeah, get yeah. my uh, my like registration for my drone in to be a good member of the FAA. That, no, that were <laughs> clients of them or whatever. But no, I mean, some of it to what Sean's saying, like within the federal side, uh, some of them are kind of like brand name names. Like, it's cool, uh, right? Yeah, like it's so the, fun. The federal EPA building out in North Carolina, be an example. We'd have that relationship yeah. with the FBI. So it is. It is. They're pretty cool. And then programs. locally, but too. I was to right? say locally, as you know, from you know years ago, your favorite eight dollar cheeseburger. Which, if you know, can you imagine finding an eight dollar cheeseburger? I know, right? A different issue. Seventeen is uh, you know the Minnesota State Capitol buildings, right? And, 
the you know, Rotskeller yeah, and all Rotskeller of that. Rotskeller opens on Monday, and in fact, Chef Mac West is super fired up. Uh, the political in. reporters have already been tweeting about their excitement for the breakfast sandwich at yeah. the Rotskeller, and that's open the public too. It so. is. And actually, yesterday I got a little preview of Chef Matt's like pretty Minnesota-focused menu. Uh, some of the same things like from the Butcher Burger. So very excited about that one. Yeah, it's Minnesota theme. You got to stick to that. Trent, talk a little bit, and and that's Sean Taher, Trent Taher, brothers. Their dad started this business, still runs it. Uh, your dad's story, Trent, is is I think incredibly inspirational. Yeah. So like. Um yeah, quick nutshell, like Bruce immigrated to our country from uh, Iran 1964 and um, worked uh, basically that, that American dream that you probably don't really hear about anymore, but he you know, doesn't know any language, doesn't know anybody, shows up with 300 bucks, ends up on a, a park bench for a while in New York, lived in an international boarding house, eventually got into school in Oklahoma. He quit his job in 81 to start Taher like – you know, two months after Sean was born. So it was like kind of like a big move. And he's definitely like the uh, type of person, you know, good problem solver, entrepreneur sort of thing. So like he would have start him and my mom would have started the company uh, as a senior dining account and a vending machine, which I think we had up until like COVID. We oh, lost really? that. Yeah. Like That was a very, you know, we turned 43 this May. Um, but um yeah, so he's obviously just taken it, and what we've grown to now are our companies into, uh, operating in twenty six states to the concept of, of of food in the convenience space. If you if you uh, dine anywhere, not dine anywhere, grab chow at, at a Circle K outside of Hawaii. There's there's good chance that that product was made here in Plymouth, and um, so you know what we've become, predict, particularly after like COVID with the stuff with. The high volume stuff with Circle K and just getting more into this like manufacturing space is kind of like created to Sean's words like space or voids that we could fill. Um, but like Bruce, like he's very engaged in the company. He's really runs our our sales uh, strategies and like the company, particularly on the K twelve side, being a very food focused company. We're growing really well in the markets that want food. Like so, the South. You know, these schools, public schools in particular, are just really flooded with money coming out of COVID because of all of the money they're generating off the, the school launch program. So they're trying to, you know, find other ways to spend it. So they, they, they want you to feed the kids more food, higher quality food, and they'll subsidize it. Well, a food company, we do really well that, you know, that's why we do so well, private schools around here. So um, he's the real deal, you know, yeah. as yeah, you know. Big man is the real but uh, he, I think Trent said, well, he's the perfect American dream story. Yeah, it's like a real story, a real version for sure, where, you know, he came with nothing, worked hard, still works hard. Uh, so what is it like for you two then, both you guys in your 30s? 40s. 40s now. Thank you uh, very much for that. Yeah, Sorry. Uh, that was you, awesome. I saw it, I guess. But, <laughs> uh, uh, but, yeah. what, what is it like to sort of be the next generation then trying to trying to carry that forward? I think in a way it's amazing, but the pressure, I think, also. Yeah, exactly. Right, who wants to answer <laughs> yeah. that? You know, look, it's it's sort of uh, it's it's uh, the double-edged sword. I mean, if you will, and you know, you're always, I mean, a little bit vulnerable for a moment, but like you're always trying to hear like from your parents like that they're proud of you. So like that doesn't go away. Uh, and so like you try and pretend that it's super pragmatic and business-like, and it is sometimes. 
but make no mistake, like you're still working in family and like there's all that dynamic that comes yeah. with it. Yeah, and we're both creative people, not necessarily as technical as we have to be. We're, we're you know, so that we'll get wrapped in the, the kind of the emotional side of that too. But you also get a really unique way of spending time with your family. Right. Uh, that you're really, I, I certainly believe like, we'll, you know, you fast forward, you know, another 30 years from today, that will be something I look back on and be really glad that that's how we spend our time. And mm. to be able to like collaborate with your parents, be able to collaborate with your brother, uh, which is by no means like smooth road, right? I'm not trying to like, of course, you know, right. there's no secret that, about like, that, but like rough as know, well as the net of the net is just like, it's, it's a pretty fun ride. Yeah. Hard as hell, yeah. but it finds it. Uh, 2,000 or so employees throughout the whole system, right? Yeah, so 3,840 people. Oh, oh gosh. Uh, Almost 4,000. Yeah, so that's wow. sharing. So we, uh, we employ people in 26 states, and you can buy something that we produce uh, in 49 of the 50 states. It's amazing, right? I mean, probably no one in Minnesota feeds more people on a daily basis than Taher. But it's not a household name, which is sort of by design because you're, you're boosting up other people's operations. Yeah, I mean, I think Trent said it really well. I mean, we never start, like, Bruce didn't start the company with some, like, grandeur, like, some visions of grandeur. It was to just, like, be big enough to support his family, go fishing on the weekends. Right. Uh, Serve good food. Yeah, and so, you know, now we keep growing, and after 43 years, it's just kind of how the math of that works. Um, But you're right. I mean, it has been a bit bit by design, uh, but I think maybe not so much anymore. I mean, the environment, marketing environment, like, retail social media it's all just changing to you got to step up and you just have to right and you know, you're different you stepped up you're the crazy one letting us on here first so you know, we appreciate <laughs> that that's uh sean taher and trent taher part of one of the videos that i did uh about you guys a while ago uh went crazy because it talked about uh michelle guyer uh james beard nominated pastry chef People, five times. She would make five sure times. she would make sure we say five times. People people remember uh her pastry shop at Midtown Global Market. And she works for you guys, and you can go for what, four bucks, get uh a cinnamon roll. Right. Created by a James Beard, five time James Beard Award winner or nominee. Yeah. Uh at the gas station. Why why did you want to bring like a culinary approach to to C store convenience yeah. store type food? Well, I mean, I'll start and then I mean, I think Trent cuz Trent really leads our culinary team uh, substantially more than I do, but we just love chefs. Like we we believe in two things. Like we should always have great chefs around. And if you find somebody like with great talent, whether you have a job from or not, just hire find them. a spot, make a spot. You know, uh but you know, Michelle was really one of your one of your very close friends coming in, so maybe you share the story. Salty Tart was her restaurant. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I think Michelle's exa- is a great a great story, but you, as having this conversation with somebody else in the industry as well, it's a tough space. It's a tough schedule. But, you know, for Michelle, um, she was just really excited, and she is incredibly talented at um, spreading her wings. And, you know, I would put her on as one of the best savory chefs, actually, in this yeah. town. She just doesn't mm-hmm. have that. Uh, attachment to her name like if you I went to that Nancy Silverton dinner and I was like oh okay now I get your savory side because like she worked for Nancy at one point too but um, yeah it was just really kind of interesting and I would say in her case she's been able to come in and like work a new uh, project like same with Sam these people are coming in from very Mm -hmm. creative spaces but they're working on those projects and 
having to use their minds differently. And like in Michelle's case with that cinnamon roll, like when she was yeah. able to hit that, to hit her, her icing to stay gooey and hold for that long and have like real cream cheese in it, it was like that, that was a moment of right. glory. That's hard. To, that's really, really hard to do. That's uh, by Sam. You're talking about Sam Daigle. Correct. Yeah, or, who is yeah, at yeah. Uh, Spoon and Stable and Demi, and he's he's been around and he works for you too. Let's stand by. We'll take a break. We'll come back. When we come back, I want to talk about school lunch. It's been a flashpoint here in Minnesota, mm-hmm. but the reality is some of this culinary approach is a differentiator. And you've also been doing things with sustainability that I've seen in some of our uh, some of the uh, uh, schools that you guys are in in Minnesota. So I want to talk about that too. Four twenty. Uh, back in just a minute here with Derusha Eats, brought to you by the Minnesota Pork Board on CCO. Derusha Eats here on CCO. We're talking about Taher, T-A-H-E-R. Sean and Trent are here, brothers, the second generation, taking uh, this Minnesota food company into the future. We talked before the break a little bit about the culinary approach that you're bringing to gas station food, yeah. which I just think so many of us, especially as we're more price sensitive, like the convenience factor of the gas station makes sense. And why shouldn't it be good food? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're also doing it in, uh, you know, in the school lunch area, which I think is so interesting. You're in so many different private schools, especially, but with universal school meals in Minnesota, how is that like? How is the culinary side affected? How has that changed the way you guys do things, Sean? Yeah, I appreciate that. First, little kind of point of clarification about maybe five percent or ten percent of our schools are private. The mm. massive majority of mostly our, public, of our, yeah, our, our public schools. You know, universal meals from uh, like a culinary nutrition standpoint has been, in my opinion, pretty great because uh, the students are really allowed and the and the schools really have the budgets and to to really choose. Mm. Really more like about the portion so much. Taher has been chef driven since the beginning. That was really that's always been our brand. We we put uh, chefs in school since I mean twenty twenty five years ago. So we've always believed in like buying local seventy five percent from scratch, even in a public school environment. Uh, you take that plus free meals, and here at least in the state of Minnesota, we've seen uh, under great leadership by our VP for the team, but uh, about twelve to fifteen percent increase in year over year. Uh, meal participation, which is a big deal. And I think most encouraging, encouragingly is at breakfast. Right. Love to see more kids getting breakfast in their hands uh, at the start of the day. Trent, how, how do you bring, you know, your background is the culinary side, the chef side, for sure. It's, it's part of the business uh, up and down, but I know that's a passion of yours. What, what's, what does it mean when you go to some of these schools that often are not around necessarily like the high culinary of the Twin Cities and you bring in some awesome chef uh, who can talk about an ingredient to kids that maybe they've never seen or heard? Uh, the, the example or what pops in my head is an example out of Texas, actually. But like, um, you know, they, you have people that... What, ha- what happened in Texas? But just like... You go into an environment and there's a learning curve. A lot of a lot of the people, because a lot of times when we go into environments where we are taking on the staff that's been there, and so within that learning curve or that immediate training, the the the, the people learn to actually have to cook. Mm-hmm. Like um, like my example that pops in my head, I was in uh, Pilot Point, Texas. Is just but you know they had to make all these quesadillas and like the concept that they didn't pull it out and put it in the oven and bake it. It was like oh, I got to lay this thing out and now in the assembly line. Um, that's, that, that's, that's a, there's a learning curve that sure. comes with that. Um, 
you know, with purveyors, you know, you can get away with, with doing that, particularly like the products that we need that do really come out of a box. We can move around pretty well. But like we, we've done, I would say, pretty well um, localizing in each local community because like in Texas, they have certain markets that are different than what we have up here. We have the farm up here that you're familiar with, a lot of stuff in Wisconsin. So it's like you could kind of twist and turn it. But like people come in and like, hey, we have to like cook. Yeah. Right. Box cutters, not my main use tool. No. <laughs> Open it. But get cool it for the kids. I mean, Very the kind cool. of food they're getting. Well, and we really push strong. Like, I'm going to go later this month to a kids in the kitchen and the educational side and bringing the chefs in the kitchen, regardless of private or public. Like, yeah. so that that educational side is an exposure of, you know, pretty deep passion of ours and and that's how we connect people because why wouldn't why wouldn't lunch be an educational opportunity as every other class that you're in during a school day right. nutrition not? counts right yeah. nutrition's important sean taher trent taher before you guys go i know taher uh has run restaurants before four paws yeah and you had uh why is that a eatery why is that a eatery alaska eatery we had uh, where uh, had the final chapter of the Timber Lodge. That's right. Uh, story. That's right. But, so you, know, quick you guys self plug. We are reopening Four Paws this spring. We're very fired up. Oh, it's happening this yeah. spring. Fresh news. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Uh, three restaurant recommendations from you two. Favorites. I think Trent. You go with your look. We Sean were talking about this at the break. I gotta give a shout out to Lurcott. I just, yeah. I mean, I just absolutely love Lurcott. Beautiful, uh, right on Loring yeah. Park. I just hired a really talented chef there too. Yeah, I I would tell you I I'm a, my wife and I eat a lot at Hilltop and uh, oh yeah yeah uh, you know the pancakes there are pretty bomb. But I actually uh, restaurant wise I really like what I think his name's Jamie Wu at Avant Yali. Um, he's got like a laksa at his place over. You go to the one at yes. Nicolet versus Malcolm Yards, but like his food's really good. Uh, it's very authentic, and that laksa is like over the top. He was just named by Inside Hook. Uh, one of 20 chefs to watch in America. Yeah, wow. interesting. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, he did the event, too. He's not, he's, he's really, great guy. really well-poised individual. Great food. Incredible food. Very good. Guys, thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. And people can go f- go grab a salad at the holiday. I agree. And then you'll have one of your made in Plymouth. Pretty Fresh cool. Fresh made. Thanks, guys. Yeah, 431, thank that's Russia Eats. We thank the Minnesota Pork Board for their support. Let's talk pot in a minute. Do you think city governments should be opening muni dispensaries? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this. It seems a little strange to me. Osseo's exploring it. We'll talk to the city administrator next. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 437 here on Drive Time. We know that all around Minnesota, there are businesses looking at what their plans will be when the state gets everything together. They hire a director of the Office of Cannabis and recreational marijuana is legal. There will be dispensaries. There will be hundreds of them all over Minnesota. And there are other states nearby where we've seen this. Big business comes in. 
And make no mistake, Minnesota is trying its best under the law that was created to make sure that the money made in the selling of recreational marijuana stays in Minnesota. But we're all a little skeptical, right? Will it be Minnesota businesses? Will it be kind of Wall Street investors, that type of crowd uh, making the money? At least one of our cities is exploring the option of making their own dispensary. The northwest suburb of Osseo, right by Champlin and Maple Grove in Brooklyn Park, is exploring opening a municipal dispensary. We have municipal liquor stores around the state. Should there be a municipal dispensary? Riley Grams is the city administrator in Osseo. He's on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Riley, thanks for being with us. Good afternoon, Jason. Glad to be, uh, be with you. How did this idea come out? How did you start exploring, all right, should we open our own uh, municipal cannabis dispensary? Sure. So we've obviously been keeping close tabs on uh, the state's um, procedures as it as it relates to um, uh, uh, cannabis sales. And, you know, really, Jason, when in, in a time where costs of providing high-quality city services to our residents and business owners uh, continues to go up, um, we need to look for potential revenue streams that can help offset our budget increases. And a lot of times that means getting really creative with how we explore those revenue areas. And uh, with uh, cannabis being legalized here in Minnesota, that certainly fits that profile. Osseo is a unique city, only about 2,500 people, uh, very adorable sort of Main Street downtown area. But you don't have a ton of businesses to sort of, you know, absorb the cost of of a police force and that sort of stuff. So, so is right. that, that's the, that, that was the main driver thinking like, Hey, we're in a pretty good spot right here at 169 and highway 81 to try to try to get people over here. Absolutely. You're correct. We don't have a lot of the land like, uh, like our neighbors do. Uh, we don't have a huge tax base. Uh, nonetheless, the cost of providing those same services to our residents um, is, is high. And, Frankly, the, the driving factor here is trying to keep our taxes as low as we possibly can and still provide those uh, great quality services to our residents. And that means finding those revenue streams. Riley Grams is with us, the Osseo City Administrator. What about the sort of philosophical conversation? Osseo has private, privately owned liquor stores in town. You don't have a muni. Uh, what what about the philosophical side of this, of whether the government should really be competing with private business in this area? Uh, great question. Um, you know, I, I, I assume a lot of those same conversations happened when the state uh, began to allow municipal liquor stores. And um, as we have seen over the years, those are uh, excellent revenue makers for a lot of cities, particularly in the Twin Cities. And so it stands to reason that, yeah, it makes sense that we should be able to look at municipal cannabis sales in the same light. And um, that's that's what we're trying to do. And, and we're, well, we're, I don't really know, like the, the Muni liquor store. I understand why cities do it, but I, I don't know that, you know, people necessarily get if it's better for the, the customer, if you get a, a lower price or anything like that. I you know, we have so many liquor stores. I, to me, I think what's different about. The cannabis side of it is because there is no existing business infrastructure. You sort of will be getting in on the ground floor with everybody else 
And so, you know, I I think there's some there's an opportunity to think about it a little differently. Even if you don't like the idea of a municipal liquor store, you are looking at, you know, here here's basically even footing with everybody as they all get in at the, at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think one of the best things about municipal liquor stores and in theory uh, with municipal cannabis sales is that you keep your your money at home. You keep it in your local community versus going out to uh, other private businesses that are going to take that money outside of your city. And um, just like municipal liquor stores, you buy something there that turns around and, and helps your local community. And that's that's how we're viewing it. You uh, you have said that you would be uh, your goal would be to be first the first one to open. It, it, do you have any sense as to a municipal city uh, city run uh, dispensary would, would maybe be able to open quickly or, or do you just think like you're doing the groundwork and you'd be able to open the first day possible? Yeah, we are, we are certainly just exploring the groundwork at this point in time. Um, obviously first and foremost, we need to wait for the state legislature and the, uh, state's office of cannabis management to finalize the rules and regulations for this type of business and also uh, present a pathway for obtaining a municipal dispensary license. But um, once that is once that is kind of cleared out and understood, we do want to be uh, one of the first uh, municipalities to try to get in there and, and submit an application. We're hoping that that will happen here in late 2024. Uh, and if all goes well and the stars line up, uh, I could see us being open by mid-2025. Now, Riley, would would Osseo make it exclusive, sort of like you have with municipal liquor stores, or would you open? Uh, would you be open to to having a privately run uh, dispensary in Osseo as well? Well, that's going to really come down to the rules and regulations by the state office cannabis management. Um, there's going to be uh, a cap on how many uh, locations you can have per population. For Osseo, obviously, we're only about you know 25 to 2,600 people. We're we're only going to be required to have one, and if we're going to have one, we should at least have an, a a say a seat at the table as a city and and provide that additional layer of uh, oversight. And that's 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 the direction we're going to try to go for. You have to admit, Riley Graham, City Administrator of Osseo, Minnesota, that this is weird. Like oh, absolutely. two years ago, the cops at Osseo were trying to bust those punks at Osseo High School from smoking weed in the city park. And now the city of Osseo is talking about actually becoming the dealer. It It is a very strange scenario. It is. And but, you know, in this line of work, nothing surprises me anymore. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're rolling with the changes uh, and we're just going to make do with what we can. Riley Grams from Osseo. Have you heard from other city administrators? Are there other cities in Minnesota that have, have reached out to you since since sort of the news came out that you guys are looking at doing this? Absolutely. I've had multiple city managers reach out to me and, and kind of pick my brain on where where, uh, where where we are at in the process and yeah. um, kind of the direction we're heading in. Certainly, uh, I think a lot of cities, especially those with already existing municipal liquor stores, are certainly going to be looking at it. Well, they sort of have the infrastructure, right, where they have some, you know, they might have an administrator in charge of it. You would have to you, you would have to sort of set up a department, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We would have to set up a uh, a whole new department within the city function, uh, hire a uh, basically a department director to oversee that operation and additional staff members who would um, staff the dispensary itself. But, yeah, it, it, we, we would be creating it from the ground up. City council's down with it? 
they are down with it. They, uh, they are providing the direction to staff, and we recently had a uh, work session meeting in which we presented our uh, committee findings at this point in the game, and we got all positive remarks, and uh, we'll be continuing forward. So interesting. On the one hand, I feel like this is a private business. I don't like government competing with a private business. On the other hand, I, I feel like because this is new territory, at least – if the government's running it, you know it's going to be, you know, uh, over uh, the oversight involved. Uh, I, I would feel a little, maybe I'd feel more comfortable. You got me all, yeah, I, I, you got me all tied in knots on this one, right? <laughs> Certainly, you know, it's, it's. I think a lot of people are going to be a little bit uneasy about buying uh, marijuana from a city when you know when those cities have police departments that enforce laws. Uh, but at the same time, it, you, you know that it's going to be a good product. It's going to be a clean, safe product. You know the dosage. Uh, in, in reality, I think that's better for the consumer in the long run. So interesting. Riley Graham, City Administrator from Osseo, we appreciate the time. Thanks for hanging out with us today. I appreciate Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for covering this topic. Osseo is a great little town. I ride my bike through all the time, going up to the... Uh, the uh, Elm Creek Park Reserve. Here, there's a wonderful coffee shop somewhere on Main Street there. Oh, I've heard. Really? I've heard things. Really? I don't know. But That's, uh, might be worth checking out. I'll be bringing my car to... Uh, I'll have to ask when I go to the body shop next Monday what uh, what those guys think about it. Interesting. 651-461-9226 if you have thoughts on whether you want city government running... Cannabis dispenser. What is what is this world? It's 447 on drive time. All right. So today we've got, you know, uh, the Republicans in Congress saying they're not going to support a border bill that the Border Patrol Union supports. At the same time, we have the House uh, voting to impeach the head of Homeland Security saying he's not doing enough about the border. We're just in the crazy times. So on Fox News today, uh, Steve Ducey is interviewing Minnesota Zone Congressman Tom Emmer. Listen to this. And I know a lot of Republicans are against it because Donald Trump is against it. But here's here's the problem for you guys. Uh, the board. Oh, we got a little buffer. The patrol union came out and the acting CBP chief both came out and said they're not. It's not perfect. But this is the best thing we've seen in decades. So are Republicans going to say that the Border Patrol Union and the acting CBP chief are wrong? Well, look, they can have their perspective, Steve. Uh, and we've it's got a lot their of respect. jobs, Tom. We've, well, and it's our job to uh, actually make sure the laws will accomplish what we're seeking to do. You have- so, uh, like, what a load, Right. Like, do you think these guys, like, do they really believe this stuff? Or is it? Well, I mean, it's the political answer, right? If you're in his shoes arguing what they want to argue, that's the answer. For months, they've been correctly pointing out that this administration's lack of action on the border is a disgrace. It's been an absolute, uh, it's been so bad. That the mayors, Democrat mayors of America's largest cities are crying for help, crying for action. And now we have action. 
And the Republicans aren't going to support Actually, it. Actually, we don't. That's the problem. <laughs> That's right. We, we have the potential for action, but they're going to kill it because Trump wants to run on it. Is anyone going to buy that? I, I, I just think it's it's very difficult to, with a straight face, say, well, they didn't do anything, when the answer is, here was this bill, that, in fact, the officers who are charged with protecting our border support. And you guys wouldn't do it because you wanted to run for office. I think usually when you're making the sort of like political gamesmanship argument, it's a loser because most people don't care. Yeah. But, I, but I do think in this case, I'm curious if people will say, you guys are full of it. You could have done something. They're counting on people to not be paying attention hmm. so that they can keep yeah. beating the same drum that they've been beating for you. Like you said, they've correctly been critical of this administration Absolutely. for a long time. And I get why they want to yeah. run on it, because it's a very strong issue. Um, and people in Iowa, it was the number one issue among Iowa Republicans. Mm-hmm. And so this is affecting non-border states, too. Uh, I understand why they want to run on it, but I would prefer if they would take action to fix it or at least to take a step in the right direction. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 